Hey, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate, but maybe not in the way that you think, which is probably single family houses. No, it's with apartment buildings, but don't worry, you don't need experience and a lot of cash yourself. I just want to give you a reminder that Dealmaker Bootcamp is coming up in Orlando, January 27th through 29th. It's dealmakerbootcampevent.com. It's really a unique uh, workshop, uh, no one else does this, where we simulate a first deal, all the way from finding it, negotiating it, analyzing it, doing due diligence, raising the capital, it's all simulated, and it's really cool. We've done it uh, about four times already, and we haven't done it in a little while because COVID kind of, you know, it's tough to do this virtually. It's really much better in person. You're going to be working in small groups, so that's dealmakerbootcampevent.com. Check that out. I also want to thank George Roberts for connecting with us on LinkedIn. All our social handles are the Michael Blanc on LinkedIn, Instagram, etc. And so say hi there, ask us a question or give us some kind of testimonial. We'd love to shout you out. He says, hey, Michael, I found your mini course on underwriting very useful. I love the syndicated deal analyzer. I appreciate that, George. Thanks so much. We have had uh, so many students do deals in the last several months. So I'm going to shout out Kareem Karawia and his mentor is Kyle Mitchell. And he closed a 12-unit deal in South Bend, Indiana, in Indiana in August for $650,000, his first one. So congratulations, Kareem. And uh, this is a great deal that's going to get him started. A lot of the first deal is going to allow him to do bigger deals faster. So if you're interested in mentoring, check that out at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Schedule a call with us and see if mentoring is right for you. All right, with that, let's get Garrett on the horn here. What's going on, Garrett? How you doing, Michael? So today's guest is going to be Rob Rousel, and uh, he has really been, you know, he started from a place that most people don't have to deal with. And I think one of the common themes here is really, you know, setbacks and struggles and, and the importance of that. Talk about how, how important that is to our, to our growth. Yeah. So the thing with setbacks is that they are typically just temporary. And temporary could be, you know, a very short amount of time. It could be a long period of time. And, you know, myself personally, I've had setbacks that lasted a couple of years and they're very painful, but what comes from those are actually, you know, really amazing things. And, and anyone listening to this, I'm sure you've gone through something similar in your life where those setbacks hit you in a certain way, and you never think you're going to be able to get out of it in the moment. And then something, some door opens that you didn't know existed. And then stepping through that door leads you to another one and another one. And so I think, you know, that's just what life is about. And it's really about how you respond to those setbacks. That's going to differentiate, differentiate you from the rest of the world. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, you don't really grow in comfort. I mean, think about it. I mean, uh, all the growing that you've done typically has come from some kind of setback or struggle. And it's the same, same thing for, for me. You know, the bigger the struggle, the, the higher the growth is, you know. And I'm not saying we should pray for struggles. Okay, I'm not saying that, you know. But on the other hand, we shouldn't resist it either. I think there's a lot of, a lot of fear from people that want to start their own business or get started in real estate or do whatever. And they never do because they're so afraid of failing. But what they don't realize is the, quote, failure, as you said, is temporary, and a failure actually shapes you, makes you stronger, so you become a better entrepreneur. I mean, I remember when I first got started, my ability to handle stress was hardly there. I mean, everything would stress me. In fact, I had this uncanny ability to worry to the point where I would think, well, this happened and this could happen, and I didn't stop there. I had like this freaking viral tree in my in my brain. If this happened, then this could happen, this could happen, it could bring these three things could happen, and I would like literally create a spreadsheet about this thing. Like it was in, it was insane. 
having gone through, you know, different setbacks, it, it kind of shaped me where I now can be relatively calm when, when things happen. And a lot of people have that kind of experience where these setbacks kind of makes you stronger. Some, there's something in your character that is weak and that needs to be strengthened in some way. And so some of these struggles is really something that, that shapes you. And certainly our guests went through that. In fact, he started as a, as a, you know, crack cocaine addict like literally that that's his life he was basically homeless and basically almost died and uh his his story is is staggering because today he owns a thousand units and he wrote a book called addicted to life and i can't wait to get his interview with rob because he just starts in such a low place a lot of us listening to his podcast in fact a lot of these success stories we shout out did not have to go through that kind of setback. And both Garrett, you and I, we went through a pretty big setbacks, but we were not drug cocaine addicts. We weren't, you know, basically near death. So his life story starts pretty, pretty bad. And somehow he made it. And so some of the life lessons that he learned through that are super valuable. So let's get an interview with, uh, with Rab Rosell. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Rob, welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me, man. It's an honor to be here. I, I am actually a fan of your podcast and I love what you guys are putting together and the content you're throwing out into the universe, my brothers. Well, I appreciate having you. I've known you for, for a little bit and I'm really anxious to get into your story because I don't have too many podcast guests who could say that they were crack cocaine addict, Rob. So I would like to know a little bit what happened and uh, and how you kind of got out of that. You know, you probably have more guests that are crack cocaine users from the past that, that just aren't public about it like I am. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'll joke it aside. I, uh, I, you know, I didn't have great mentors in my life as a kid. And I was able to, I had uh, a little less supervision than you probably should have as an 11 year old and a 12 year old. And I was hanging around with, with the wrong crowd. And I talk about this in my book, but we all know it from our success journeys is we are the average of the five people that we hang around the most, right? Uh, you don't know that when you're 11 years old. And so I was hanging around with the pot smokers and the beer drinkers on weekends. And that eventually turned into crystal meth and crack cocaine. And uh, although I had brief moments of sobriety in my adult life, I was on a downward spiral that uh, was slow with crystal and really got accelerated with crack cocaine. And uh, in 1999, I found myself living on the streets homeless. Uh, when I tell my full testimony, I talk about being homeless and toothless and unemployable. And uh, that's pretty much where I was at. And uh, I stumbled into a drug rehab in 1999, a 30-day rehab. And uh, by the grace of God, I am proud to say that I have not picked up a drink or a drug since that day. Yeah, that's 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 amazing. It sounds like you had to go pretty low in life to come to some realization. Uh, you know, it's funny you say that. In the rooms of recovery, we have a, a phrase called the low bottom drunk. And everybody is not a low bottom drunk. What that means is our elevator had to go all the way down to the bottom where the next step was death, right? And there's also a saying called jails, institutions, or death, because it's one of those three or recovery. You're not going to get out of one of those three. And I was pretty, I was knocking on the door of death or prison long term. 
before I found recovery. So that's why I'm considered low bottom drunk. But yeah, I had to, I, I had to lose it all, brother. That's interesting. I, I had a sister who struggled with an eating disorder who was probably one one hair away from from death. And I talked to her about it because obviously she's still with us here today. And she decided that she wasn't ready to die yet. And that's when she turned around. What what was that? What was the aha moment that um, that happened to you? Well, you decide because look, a lot of people go through thirty day rehabs and they never never get out of it. So you must have made many some kind of decision. Rehabs. Yeah, many many thirty day rehabs, right? And uh, it was my second thirty day rehab. Uh, Ten years earlier, I had been in one. But uh, so I was sitting in my probation officer's office uh, doing an intake appointment where they hand you this thick stack of uh, questionnaire that asks you your drug history, your work history, your history with the police and everything. And I was sitting at a fork in the road and I knew that this was it. This was decision time. I was either going to tell the truth on this questionnaire and start getting right with my life, or was I going to lie like I always did and end up doing the two years in prison that had been set aside for this probation because I wouldn't have passed a year analysis and a month from now that I was going to be forced to take. And, and uh, chapter one in my book is called You Gotta Be Done. And I made a decision. I am done. It's interesting you talk about a decision point. Uh, it happens all the time. And I study people who are successful. And you can trace it back to a decision point or a lack thereof. In other words, people will literally uh, invest heavily in a, even a mentoring program or a course and then not follow through with it. And I was, I, was, I was puzzled by that. And so the decision point is fundamental. It's crucial. Without it, there can be no transformation. It's true. And then the second part of that, chapter two of my book, and as you both know, is you got to take action. You got to get uncomfortable and you've got to take action because the world has heard it from you, from you and a thousand just like you that never did a darn thing after making the proclamation, right? So it's a matter of taking action and doing something. And usually the decision has us in a level of discomfort that makes us wonder why we ever made that decision in the first place. Were we flipping nuts or what? But, but if we'll just keep doing it, the results will speak for themselves, right? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that, Rob. Like I, so I, you know, you see the homeless population and it's, it's people feel a little bit differently about when they, they, they visualize that. And, um, you know, the truth is I always felt like it's just so hard to get from that load to get back in a society. Cause I mean, think about it just logistically to get into a mental place where you can even hold a job or whatever that is to get you out of homelessness, how did you take action and actually get out of that situation? You know, that's a great question with many answers. Probably the most, the one that covers most of it in the, in the rooms of recovery, we have something called PPT, people, places, and things. If you're going to have change in your life, if you're actually going to have be successful in recovery, you're going to change everything all the people, all the places, all the things that you've been doing while you were running and gunning and writing your testimony, so to speak, are going to have to change. And you can uh, you can equate that to uh, our walk with the Lord. We can equate that to our business success. If you're not going to to continue to do the same things that you've always done and get different results. If you want different results, you're going to have to create some new habits and do things differently. And that's all we really did, my wife and I, is we we changed our world, man. We changed everything. The place you came from was was probably by all objective measures pretty bad. 
what I find is 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 more common is people come from a place that's pretty okay. They say, "Oh, I want to quit my job and I want to get into real estate," right? But their life ain't so bad, right? And so, how do you? And, and in your particular case, you were pretty much dead set that your former life is not something you would ever go back to. It was so unattractive to you that it was not even a plan B. But many of us don't have. They have. They have. What, what I would call kind of an acceptable plan B. Like, you know, if everything fails, well, I can still go back to my own life. And that does not propel you forward, right? If you have a safety net, you'll probably be inclined to use it. How do you think an average person can essentially still transform their life in a way that they want without being drawn back by their former life? That's a great question. And you brought up a great point, and it's a very true point, And that is... You know, the biggest hurdle to our true success is our previous successes, right? That level, that that level of complacency that we can we can remain at. And to the people around us, we're doing okay. No one would ever fault us because in the eyes of the world, we're doing great. But compared to what we really could be doing, our own capabilities, our gifts, talents, and treasures that we have to offer to this world, we're really doing 10 to 50% of what we could be doing, but no one would ever know. So the, the answer to your question, Michael, I think is just having a big enough why and understanding why you're you're chasing after that new thing that you know is at the level that God wants you to be performing at. I think it's so true, but how do you get to that point, Rob? That's that's the question, right? Because because I see varying <laughs> degrees of whys, and a weak why just doesn't get you through the tough times. It doesn't. You could do you could take action even for four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, but in this business or anytime you want to change your life in a in a meaningful way, whatever is lose weight, stop smoking, whatever, uh, it's not, you're not going to get there in seven days, right? It's going to be an ongoing ongoing effort, and even for you. You know, there's temptation to go back to your former life. Even if you're you're married, your decision to stay married you have to make every single day. So, how do you develop that strong why? Is there some kind of technique, some blue or red pill you can take? <laughs> well, no. However, <laughs> what has worked really well for me is in both directions, taking steps backwards or taking steps forwards. Because quite frankly, there is for me and what my original mentor, still my mentor today used to say is, Rob, you're not staying the way you are. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. He would he said, there's no coasting uphill. You're either going and you're either working your butt off to go to the next level, going uphill or you're digressing back to where you used to be. You're not sitting complacent, whether you think you are or not. The answer to your question for me, Michael, has been visualization, right? Knowing what I want and visualizing and actually writing out um, my dreams, my goals, as if I've already accomplished them. And reading that over and over and over again, which instills inside of me a level of yearning, that wants that so bad and belief that believes not only that I can have or achieve, but that I already have achieved and going through the motions is just going through the motions after that. So how has visualization really worked for you? Can you give us some examples of, of things that you've been able to kind of visualize into existence? Okay. Here's an example. Um, my wife and I wanted, <laughs> I'm going to get into personal stuff if that's okay, but my wife and I wanted a house by the beach in San Diego. 
And uh, this was back when real estate was a dirty word back in 09, 10, 11, where nobody, you guys remember those days, right? And we put it on the bathroom mirror, we visualized it, we talked about it, and we did the legwork to find it. And sure enough, we found something in a short sale status. So we ended up buying that house and uh, had that house since from 2012 until uh, last year. We had many Christmas vacations there, or Christmas, uh, Christmases and Thanksgivings there, and enjoyed that. But we we went down, we drove that area, we walked that area, we knew everything that was hitting the market in that area. We we lived, breathed, and slept that house until we achieved that dream. And that's just one of you know. All of my friends think that I have a magic refrigerator because they say, Rob, every time you put something on your refrigerator, it ends up on your balance sheet or in your driveway, brother. Can I hang my goals on your refrigerator? And I, t- and I have to t- educate them. No, you, you got the same refrigerator, brother. <laughs> so it's not, you know, that's, that's great. And I actually love that. But it, so it's not just visualizing, it's then it's doing that, but then also taking action behind it that's kind of, that's produced your results. Is that, is that safe to say? Right. Chapter two of my book is you've got to get uncomfortable and take action. But chapter three is you must create the wave of momentum. And the wave of momentum is nothing more than stacked actions, meaning you're not going to go to the gym once a week and see results, right? Very little. It's, it's going to the gym, going to the gym, practicing diet, exercise, calorie intake, and consistently doing that that creates that wave of momentum that actually sees physical change using the gym as an analogy. So I think action is is important, but but you mentioned it earlier, and it's it's a it's a belief. You need a belief first, because if you don't believe in something, you don't believe you can do something. Why would you ever take action towards it? Now, therefore, the belief has to precede action. You can't do one with the other. Well, you can, you can try, but you you're most likely gonna gonna fail. I find that fascinating with entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs have a, a develop a high degree of belief. And I don't see a correlation in in how religious a, so an entrepreneur is. It's it's an interesting phenomenon. All entrepreneurs do it, whether you put a religious label on it or not. They are capable of acting in a high degree of uncertainty with a an unknown outcome, right? And that is, of course, what other people call faith or belief or whatever you call it. I just find an, an interesting phenomenon, and I find that a lot of successful entrepreneurs share that, whether they label it or not. I just I'm just observing, and obviously you've experienced that yourself. I have. And you know, there's, there's something magical. And this is just my personal belief. Some, some of that belief is belief. And some of it is the pain to remain the same is more than the pain to finally get off our rumps and do something about it. But back to the complacency mode we were talking about a little bit ago, if the pain to remain the same isn't more than it is to take that uncomfortable action, then it's easier just to say the same, stay the same and let everybody think you're doing okay, right? I think that in, in the scenario I had earlier when the complacency is very strong, there's really no pain per se. It's That's actually right. you're living in this goo of comfort, which is the problem in itself, <laughs> right? And, right? And so I, I've seen people get get over that by basically telling themselves that their current state of complacency is bad. Like it's it's actually painful. And if they continue staying in that in that place, they're never going to grow. And they realize that. And they turn that that level of comfort into a level of discontent. And I think that's the only tool you have, unless there's actual pain, because pain is stronger than gain, right? So if you have pain, you're always going to run away from pain. Uh, and yes, you want to run towards gain, but it's a it's a weaker it's a weaker force. 
Therefore, how can you turn maybe the gain into more of a pain and more of a motivating factor? Agreed. Well, we can put that into perspective as well. This, the chances, well, let, let's, let's face it, the odds for an addict to recover at all are against us, right? So if you don't know this, here's the stats say that in a um, secular, non-Christ-centered recovery system or home, um, there's probably about a 5% recovery rate. It's very sad, but it's true. In a Christ-centered one, there's an 80 to 85% recovery rate. But even then, to be to recover, would there's so many of us that do recover, but then just get caught up in complacency and don't do a whole lot with it. I honestly believe that God didn't take me through that so that I could sit on the couch every night and hold a remote control in my hand. That wouldn't be giving him the glory for the rewards that he's given me. Well, not only that, but but you're you you're not making an impact on the world, right? Your story is going to resonate with with people, and you already already know that, right? There's not many, you know, there, there's many many people that have gone through your story, and if you don't share your story, they're never going to get out of that situation. Amen. So yes, giving him the glory for what he's done for me, as well as letting them know, look, <laughs> if let's put it this way, if I, if there was such a thing, I would have been voted least likely to succeed at my 30 day rehab back in 1999. Of the 50 of us that were in the same class, I was definitely on the bottom five of the people anybody would have thought was going to make it. You know what I mean? So Rob, what, what do you think sets you apart from all these other people that have tried and failed because there's so many that have gone through that cycle what made you special and, and different i don't know if i was special uh different i i think honestly i was uh, probably full transparency i'm a bit of a coward garrett i i i knew the next step for me was death or prison as i mentioned earlier another need neither one of those sounded attractive so i needed to make some serious changes very very fast if you're interested in passively investing in multifamily syndications, then check out our investment firm, Nighthawk Equity, at nighthawkequity.com. You can learn more about us, our team, our track record, and investment process, and you can schedule a call with us as well. Just click the Join button. You can fill out a short form to join our investment club, and then you can schedule a call with us. We'd love to have a conversation with you and share some of our upcoming opportunities. Again, that's nighthawkequity.com. Talk to you soon. So something just clicked. Yeah, And if you look at really anyone's, uh, I, I bet a lot of people here would resonate with the, the statement that some of your biggest successes have come from, you know, how far you've fallen down in one direction. I definitely me. I mean, I, I know for a fact that, you know, I had, I had to go down really far to get, get back up. And I, I'm curious if you believe that it's, it almost like is the slingshot effect where it's like the further you fall below the line, the further you can skyrocket up. <laughs> because in, at least in my life, that's, that's really has been the case uh, on numerous occasions. I think that's totally true. Because as long as we're continuing to practice the habits that got us from how far down we were just to normal, if we'll just continue those habits on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, it's going to just continue to compound, right? I mean, I, I don't think trauma is necess necessarily necessary for growth. I, I don't think that, though I have observed that a lot of very successful people have gone very, very low to varying degrees. 
In fact, I, I, that stood out for me when I first uh, quit my job and I read all these, you know, su- biographies of successful people. They had one thing in common, which is catas- you know, catastrophic failures in many in many cases. Like I, I consider myself a very successful person, and I have not had catastrophic failures until, of course, I went on my own. The point I think is that, <laughs> is I think I think clearly in a in a in an area of complacency, you don't grow, right? You have the comfort zone. You have the growth zone, and then you have the panic zone, right? Now, you, maybe you stay out of the panic zone, but you also want to stay out of the comfort zone because you don't really grow. So you're in this in this kind of uh, growth zone where it's always a little bit uncomfortable. And I, I think as long as you're growing, you're on the right path. I think a lot of people are so mired in the comfort zone, they don't they no longer grow as well. And maybe the only thing that shakes them up is some kind of traumatic experience. But is it always necessary? I don't know. Maybe it is. But maybe not. The trauma too. helps. The trauma, yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> so my my mentor, uh, this this resonated with me because uh, whenever you know I, I go chat with him and uh, he's wildly successful and or he has been over time, but he he said something that resonated with me, which is the millions are made in the valley. Okay, meaning that that's when you're really making your money is when you're going through something so painful that it's teaching you a different way. And so I think, and you know, Michael, I, I hear your side or it's like, listen, you know, maybe you don't really need the trauma. I think you do need the trauma. Gosh. Actually, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to actually debate you on that. You, you might I not be wrong. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I was like, you're listening to this, you know, praying for some trauma to happen so they can possibly grow. Oh, like you, if anyone, <laughs> you, if anyone has gone, you've gone through plenty of this. And I would, I would say that that has launched you into, into it space, has. So. Right. But am I the blueprint? Should I be the blueprint? Should Rob be the blueprint? Why not? Hopefully not. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sometimes the trauma is just seeing the people that we love and we care for who have worked hard their whole lives, not living out their retirement to the level that they deserve. That alone can be the trauma or somebody that's in the same trade that we're in, in their 50s and 60s and seeing how they're being treated by the company when it's retirement time and we're 32 looking at our future, right? Or, or, or can we learn from other people's experience? Like, you know, are, can't we be just a little wiser so we learn from other people versus having to experience it ourselves? I'm just saying, you got to work smart, not hard, Garrett, but you're probably maybe not wrong. Therefore, no, I don't I think, think I'm wrong. I think I the think, bottom line think... is, I, I'm not saying people should invite trauma in their life, right? Struggle. I'm not saying they should invite it. I'm just saying we should be at least open to it. We shouldn't resist it because as unpleasant as as it has, every single struggle I've had is super unpleasant. Obviously, every one struggle is, but it also forms and shapes you in a way. So when you come out of it, you do come out stronger. And and, and the question is, how can you deliver, how can you develop a, a, or, or get peace so you can go through that process, recognizing you're going to come out better at the, at the other end? It's it's more like the the stuff that happens that you're not anticipating or that you can't really control. I don't I don't think that advocating trauma for anyone is a good idea. You don't want to deliberately do it, of course. I think that's completely silly, but it's it's things are things are going in one direction and you're like, "Man, I you know, so, some it like blindsides you and you're like, "Wow, this just hit out of nowhere. Like life is just crashing down on me." And I can't really control that this is happening, but I, I mean, it created it somehow in those moments, I think is when you really find your true self and you can pivot and, and, you know, the universe is telling you go in this direction or go away from this, you know, that energy shift is, is super important through different periods of your life. And every single human, I think can relate to that. It's just 
you know, where do you take it to directly tying to this? I, I think you need the knowledge to be able to get out of that. Right. So maybe it's just the shift, a downward shift puts you into a space. You're like, man, I'm going to go seek the knowledge that I can use to go take the action that I need to get into that next place. Right. So I think, I think the thing that goes right in tandem with that is that knowledge. And so, you know, you've obviously had to do a ton of that. What do you have any specific moments or anything you can, you can bring forward where you're like, man, I found this knowledge in this place and it really sped up my uh, upward trajectory. There's been a number of them. The first one, and I can't, (laughs) to save my life, I can't remember how I ran across it, but somehow not long after getting out of that rehab, I stumbled across a book by Zig Ziglar called See You at the Top. And that book, now I've been through it numerous times, and my copy doesn't have one page without some sort of highlight or notes in it, but that book told me that I was a child of the Most High God, that I had royal blood flowing through my veins, and I had all the things, requirements for success already within me, and I just needed to cultivate them. That was a game changer for me. That's interesting. Really interesting. He talked about building this momentum up. We talked a lot about working on ourselves and getting our minds right, right? And I used to thought that was a bunch of wasted time to do, but I just, because I'm a doer. I don't need to think. And and so I love this progression that we've done through your journey where you're really spending time getting your mind right, right? Getting yourself, you know, getting yourself right. But then there's this thing about creating a wave of momentum that, that you talked about. How did you create a wave of momentum in yourself? Because you kind of, you made this decision and you came around that you started taking some action and you started seeing some success in, in that, right? And so how did you get into that wave of succession that even got you into uh, real estate? You know, I was starting to come up. I was working. I got hired back in my trade, which was in the automotive industry. I'm a service advisor by trade, a service manager. I'm the guy that calls you and tells you what's wrong with your vehicle and get your approval to put the water pump on. And uh, things were going well. We were starting to save up. I had gotten a home by then. It was a few years into recovery. And I stumbled across, you know, us that have a few gray hairs will remember Carlton Sheets and his uh, infomercials on weekends. Yeah. Yeah, that's so I didn't have a credit card. And I didn't have $500 and there's the only way that you could buy those. So eventually I received in the mail a application for a secured credit card. And I said, Providian secured credit card. So I saved up 500 bucks. First purchase with that credit card was my Carlton Sheets course. And I listened to that course so many times. I, if Carlton Sheets got lost his voice, I could have taught that course. I, I learned it so well. And needless to say, long story short, I didn't buy any homes, no money down during that time. I had very few teeth in my face and I was driving to look at houses on a motorized skateboard with a seat. That might've had something to do with it. I don't know, but I was excited. And I knew that some point in time, Real estate was in my future. I just knew that. Fast forward a few years, when it came time to purchase my first auto repair shop, it was an acquaintance of my father who was constantly telling my father how his exit strategy, one of his five sons, was going to take over his business. That wasn't coming together. And one at a time, they all tapped out and said, I don't want to be doing this. Uh, So I told him, tell him your son does this for a living. Well, Long story short, I bought that auto repair shop and I bought it no money down because of the techniques I had learned from that Carlton Cheats course. Wow. And now you're in the game. It wasn't a townhouse or anything like that. It was an auto repair shop. And it was an auto repair shop. That is amazing. And I think at that point, the rest is history, right? Because it's just a it's just a matter of rinsing and, and repeating. 
But, you know, I, and I, I love this. You know, what you're demonstrating is taking little tiny steps just a little over time. And you see this Carlton Sheets thing and you're like, I don't have the money. So now you start saving. That probably took you a minute to, to do that. And then you buy this daggone tape set, set and you're listening to that for weeks on end. Right. So it's like this little tiny tedious task you're taking over long periods of time. Building that wave, man. Building Build that wave, the wave of momentum. Yeah. Working on me and working like it depends on me and praying like it depends on God. And next thing you know, we bought our second auto repair shop, no money down. Meanwhile, we were stacking cash and we wanted to be good stewards of God's money. So we started getting some real estate education. It was single family home stuff at the time and started flipping houses with that. Yeah. Let's let's fast forward because I, I just love your story, right? Because it's not nearly as interesting to talk about, you know, how you got from 100 units to a, whatever, 1,000 units. It's really how did you get started? And, and you started from such a place when I hear people say, oh, that's too hard. I don't have the money. I don't have the experience, blah, 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 right? Well, listen to Rob. Like, look at where he came from. Yeah, I just love that. Just brief us real quick on what your business is like today. You know, uh, we built, uh, we ended up with five auto repair shops. And over time, in night back in 2009, seven through nine, our strategy, Michael, was we were getting hard money for house number one, two, three, and four. And the fifth one, fourth one, fifth one, sixth one, we were buying with cash from the profit from those first ones and keeping it. And we kept a lot of condos, houses, four plexes, six plexes, and uh, built a portfolio of real estate that way. We started flipping those in 2015, 16 on up into larger stuff. And that's California equity stuff. You know, we were flipping four plex, a fourplex and a 12plex, about a 96plex and a 70plex over in Oklahoma and Missouri. So we did a lot of that. We um, we ended up uh, getting some multifamily education and, and just started uh, utilizing that education nationwide. Currently, we're at uh, about a thousand doors under management, uh, 250 of those doors are my wife and I, and the rest are JV partnerships and syndications. Love it. What a great story. And your book is called Addicted to Life. And uh, Rob, how can people connect with you? You know, you can, uh, I want to invite everybody that listens to this podcast. I'm, I've uh, put a button on my website for a free audio download of the book. If they just go to addictedtolifebook.com, they can download that. It'll be up for another week or so, addictedtolifebook.com. They can also order a hard copy of the book. If they're like me, they like to have a hard copy for their library. I autograph every book. And on there, they'll also find a button for my online community. It's called Addicted to Life All-In Community. It's business owners, real estate investors that get together once a month. It's a bit of a mastermind. All the details are on my website, Addicted to Life. Book.com. That is fabulous, Rob. So check that out. Addicted to life. Check out Rob. Oh, Rob, thanks so much for sharing your story here on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to see you guys. So Michael, yeah, you know, what a great story that Rob had for us here. And, you know, one of the things that he mentioned that I thought really resonated with me because I've gone through something similar, uh, even back to my high school days when I had high school friends. And I was like, you know, I just got to get these people away from me if I want to elevate was that everything has to change your people, places, and things to really elevate into that next level. Yeah, that's exactly right. But you got to work on yourself first. And, you know, I, Robert Kiyosaki talks about be, do, have. And I find that so fascinating because I get the do and the have. I, I have to do something to get something, to do something to have something. But he talks a lot about the being. Who do you have to become? 
And that's all in the mind, right? And and I think that's so important. A lot of people skip that step. And it's a mistake. And I certainly skipped it. This is why I floundered around for eight years, you know, chasing financial freedom and just like losing money and time at the same at the same time. This is also why in the dealmaker blueprint, our system for how you do your first deal and, and, and achieve financial freedom, one of the first steps is to create clarity. And it's all to do with your with your mind right now. And man, just getting clarity and spending some time getting clarity will cut years off your journey. And so that was, and he, and, and the, I think one of the reasons that Rob was able to get out of the situation is because he worked on himself so much, so much to get out of that and to be able to, uh, to create that wave of momentum. Because if you don't have your mind right, why would you even bother creating any kind of momentum at all? So what comes first though? Is it the mindset or is it the people? It's a good question because you need the people to give you the mind, the ability to seek out the knowledge to improve your mind. Maybe, right? maybe, maybe, but, but if you're not, in a, if you're not in the frame of mind to accept what people are telling you, then, then you're not going to take any action at all. But you're right. If you're surrounded by a bunch of losers all day, then, right. I mean, it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. You're not wrong. On the other hand, though, if, if you're surrounded by an unsupportive group of people, why would you want to change any of that? If you don't have your mind straight, if you don't think in your mind that there's a problem in your current life, why would you want to make a change? Therefore, I would even argue that your mind has to be right to even surround yourself with the right people. Right. But also you can't change your mind if you're not, if the people, the whole purpose of getting around people that are going to help you change your mind is, is that you're all now thinking a different, in a different mindset collectively, right? So the things you talk about, the things that you discuss, the things you see that are possible actually is is somewhat formed by the groups of people that you talk to on a consistent basis. So, you know, I get to talk to you all the time. You have incredibly creative and large ideas and amazing things. I'm not thinking a different way because of that. And so my, you know, I have an expansion there as well. So I think it is a bit of both. I would agree with you there. And it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, it is definitely a, a, a bit of both. It's definitely a bit of both. And one of the things that he mentioned uh, is is having a mentor. We didn't talk about it too much, but clearly he had a mind where he says, man, I, I, I don't know everything. I can't solve my own problems and I need someone around me. And he was able to do that. And you talked about the average of the five people you're hanging out with, you know, and he had to learn that probably the, the hard way. And, and a lot of times, even for me earlier on, I was not surrounded by very supportive people. Even even my dad was like, uh, Michael, that sounds pretty risky. Like, uh, I think you should probably stay at your job, you know? And I was like, this is my own dad. I'm like, come on, dad, I want to do this. I have a vision, you know? And so you have to make these painful choices of potentially making some changes with the people around you. It's a, it's not it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, I, <laughs> I relate to that so much too. I was like, I got to get out of the house. Just so that I might, I could expand my mind into a place where I can build my first company because I was having similar things at home. So I literally moved downtown and I slept on a couch in the city for $200 a month just so I could get in a different environment that would allow me to build my business. And then I had to take stacked actions, which is what he talked about actually, to get to the next place, which is just building that momentum, taking a bunch of action taking a bunch of steps forward and, you know, getting hit in the face along the way and just, and just pushing through. So a great way to, to meet uh, other people and get out of the house is Dealmaker Bootcamp, of course, in sunny Orlando, end of January. Check it out, dealmakerbootcampevent.com. It's going to be 
unbelievably awesome. So make sure you check that out. And hopefully you were inspired by Rob's story today. So make sure you get your mind right and start taking some action. All right, guys, catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by downloading the free blueprint on closing your first multifamily deal. Head over to themichaelblanc.com slash blueprint to get the free training.